If you open up to the cover page, we're going to begin the first page of our Kapak Mishneh Torah. This is called the Shar, the, the title page, the cover page. It says on the right side of the page, Mechon Moshe. Mechon Moshe. Lecheker Mishnat Harambam. The Moshe Institute. Moshe is the acronym of Mishnat Harambam. The teachings of the Rambam. And that's who prints the books of Mechon uh, Moshe. is Mechon Mishnat Harambam. On the left side of the page, Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon. Our Rabbi Moshe, the son of Maimon. Now you should know that when it comes to titles, it's very important to be clear. When you use titles, to who are we referring to? So, first off, it seems, it seems in the Jewish community, that we call Rabbeinu to the rabbis who were of the Rishonim. The Rishonim are called Rabbeinu. Later rabbis use different titles. But normally when you see the word Rabbeinu so-and-so, you know it's from the time of the Rishonim. Sometimes when you see the names, like you see Rabbeinu Hananel or Rabbeinu Nisim, or uh, so on and so forth. Uh, when you see names that have the word Gaon in them, Rav Sadia Gaon, Rav Hai Gaon, you have Gaon, you know they're from before the Rishonim, times the Gaonim. There are exceptions, like they call him the Vilna Gaon, which is intended as a compliment that perhaps to say that he could have been a Gaon in the generation of the Gaonim, but it's inaccurate because he's not like the rest of the people who are called Hagon. Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon. There also are breast of Hasidim who call their rabbi Rabbeinu. Whenever they say Rabbeinu Zal, they refer to Rabbi Nachman of Breslev. In general, I try to steer clear from <coughs> presumptuous titles. What do I mean? Some people, you go somewhere, I was once in a room and told them, oh, don't you know, the Rebbe said. Which Rebbe? The Rebbe. I know, the Rebbe. Yeah, where? where? Oh, your Rebbe. Just because he's your Rebbe doesn't mean he's the Rebbe. You understand the difference? There's a title that they write sometimes in some Chachamim. They call them Rashka Bahag. Rashka Bahag. Rabban Shedkol Bnei Hagolah. Let's close the door. The rabbi of all the Jews of the exile. Rabban Shedkol Bnei Hagolah. This is a rabbi that's of the stature that you could say he's the rabbi of the whole Jewish people. How many people are really of that stature? I don't know, but I know that there are even yeshivot in little tiny places in the middle of nowhere. You never even heard of the yeshiva, let alone the rabbi who runs the yeshiva. And they call him Arashka Bahag. He's the rabban. How could he be the rabbi of all the people in the world if I don't even know who he is? It's an interesting, uh, it's a presumptuous title. But, but, and here's where I'm going to say but. There are certain chachamim throughout history that receive titles that it makes sense they got that title. And it's not considered presumptuous precisely because we know who we're referring to. For example, Maran. Maran. Stam Maran. Every time you see the word Maran, you know what we're talking about. The B. Yosef Kao. Whenever you hear someone say, oh, Maran this one, and Maran that one, and Maran this, it's a mistake. What do you mean a mistake? But it's confusing. When you learn a sefer, you know, Maran means B. Yosef Kao. Don't call someone else Maran. He may be a great rabbi, so call him all the titles in the world you want. When Rabbi Yosef was alive, so people already started calling him Maran, Maran, Maran. Harapelz once went to speak with him. Before he came to the office, he asked his son, he said, please, I just need to ask permission. When I go inside, I'm not going to call your father Maran. And I don't want to be disrespectful. So please ask him. I'll call him whatever title. Rabbeinu, Ateret, Rosheinu, the crown of our splendor, whatever you want to call, I'll call him whatever you need. But not Maran. Maran I only use for abuse of Cairo. And he said, who do you think Rabbi Wadi Yosef calls Maran? Also abuse of Cairo. He says, don't worry, it's going to be okay. He went inside. We're particular to use that name. Truth is, Chalmat Yosef calls Maran Achida, Maran Abenishchai, Maran. But it's a, it's not how we use the word Maran. Maran is one. 
Also, you have like in the Mishnah, for example, whenever you see Ribi, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, is Ribi Yehuda Hanasi. Whenever it's time, Ribi, you see that name? In the world of Rav Kapach, Rabbeinu. The word Rabbeinu is the Rambam. When you see him call Rabbeinu, he's referring to the Rambam. Zero. Don't have to worry. He's not going to call anybody else that name. And when you see this name, Rabbeinu Moshe Ben Ramon, our rabbi. It's a title of, uh, we feel possessive of him. Now like I mentioned yesterday, by the way, the shiur from yesterday was a beautiful shiur. I really enjoyed teaching it. Um, unfortunately, the audio didn't work out. And uh, we, we, it, was, it was my fault with the microphone, but it's okay. The video, high quality. The audio <laughs> wasn't there. So, uh, Baruch Hashem, what we did was we did a redo today. Uh, but there's nothing like the original. So I gave the shiur a second time. Which means it has all the content the first one did. But not as much of the flame and passion as the first one did. So for those who are watching it on the internet, they got the second best. But for those who are here, that was directly from the heart. Hopefully tonight, everything will be uh, smooth sailing in terms of audio. Last night, I mentioned to you about, uh, what was I going to tell you now? Rabbeinu, Moshe Being possessive. Being possessive. Honey, the Rambam is not Yemenite. You know that? You know the Rambam is from Spain, Spain or Spain. Africa, Egypt. It's not, it's not Yemen. But that's exactly the point. The point is, and it's a mistake, I'm going to say right now a mistake, a commonly held misconception. That the word Sfaradi refers to a geographical location only. An ethnicity only. It's in very recent history that you use the word Sfaradi to refer to somebody who's of Sephardic or Spanish uh, uh, descent. Most Jews who identified as Sephardim were not at all connected to Spain in any way ethnically, not geographically, not biologically. Think about Iraq and Iran and Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and many communities that were Sephardim, but were not actually Sephardim. Yes? And I know today in modern Hebrew they use this term Mizrachim. Now, I'm of the opinion that Mizrahi is a derogatory term made by Ashkenazi uh, secular Zionists who attempted to lump many different people under some pan-Sephardic umbrella. It just meant everybody who was not Ashkenazi. That's essentially what fit into the title of uh, Mizrahi. And many Jews are, what do you mean? We're Sephardim. We're from Spain. They're not Sephardim. It's a very juvenile uh, conversation. The Sephardim is a theological camp that comes from the Batei Midrash, the rabbinic communities of Spain. What part of Spain? Andalusian Spain. There's Spain and there's Spain. There's Catalonia and there's Andalusia. And even though they may technically both be Spanish, there's almost nothing in common between the two of them. And it's, it's important when you're discussing who is Sephardi, who isn't. There are letters between Chachamim. This one is a Sephardi, but he was never in Sephardi. So how could he be Sephardi? You don't have to be Sephardi to be Sephardi. Sephardi means I identify theologically with a certain approach to Judaism that was taught in certain academies and therefore spread out to many different communities. And it's a normal thing for someone to be a Sephardi, even though he's not at all connected to uh, biologically or geographically uh, to Spain. It's for that reason that in Yemen, the conversation of whether or not the Rambam is Sephardic or Yemenite is irrelevant. Because if the Rambam becomes our rabbi and our teacher, the, one of the Chachamim of Yemen once explained, see the Rambam wasn't Yemenite. 
But the Rambam's Torah was matim. It was a, it was a match. It was a fitting match to the philosophy and beliefs that were already held in Yemen. And therefore, when the Yemenite Jews met for the first time the halachot and the theology of the Rambam, it was love at first sight. So because it matched, that's why it worked. The same thing with the communities of Sfarad. When they met the Shulchan Aruch of Maran, it's not that all of a sudden Maran became the supreme ruler of all the Sfaradim. There was a certain, uh, uh, it made sense. This worked. It was a chemistry, if you want to call it that. And it worked, and therefore it was adopted. There were communities that it obviously didn't work for. And therefore they didn't accept such teachings. But when the Yemenite Jews, or Kapach in particular, says Rabbeinu, he's referring to his rabbi, meaning the Rambam. They once asked Rav Kapach, so who is your rabbi? He said, me? I don't have rabbis. I only have one rabbi, this one. Everybody else, I learn from people, talk to people, but I have one rabbi. This is the Rambam. This is my only rabbi. Rabbeinu Moshe ben Aymon. Sefer Mishne Torah. It's a book, the review of the Torah. This is a borrowed term from where? What is the book of Devarim? It's called Mishnah Torah. What does it mean, Mishnah Torah? It's repeating some part of the Torah. Very good. Moshe Rabbeinu, is sharing with us, is sharing, but you know, this thing, I hear people say a lot of times, the names of the Tanakh. I was once reading a Muslim uh, article, and in there, it said, Muhammad, capital P-B-U-H. P-B-U-H, what is P-B-U-H? I started Googling P-B-U-H. Maybe it's a TV show. I don't, like, I'm not sure whether it's, it's a radio station. I'm PBUH. What is PBUH? Peace be upon him. I love Hashalom. Yes? When you say the name of one of our tzaddikim, say, I love Hashalom. I love Hashalom. That's the way Jews speak. Moshe Rabbeinu, I love Hashalom. Don't be afraid. It's part of the way we speak. Moses for somebody else. For us, Moshe Rabbeinu, Allah v'shalom. Mishneh Torah. When Moshe Rabbeinu, Allah v'shalom, is teaching us the Torah, he's reviewing everything that, he's essentially giving a summary of the first four books. Obviously, it's not just a summary. There's more there than there is in other books. There are different things. It's an interesting conversation how some things end up being a little different. The Rambam is saying this book is also a Mishneh Torah. I'm reviewing everything you need to know in one series of books. From the Tanakh, from really the Chumash of Moshe Rabbeinu, until my book, you'll have everything you need to know. Don't worry about anything else. And we're going to read in the Rambam's introduction, which will take us a few weeks to get to, in the Rambam's introduction how crucial that is to understand why the Rambam wrote this book. It wasn't just another Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. It couldn't be another because it was the first. But it, it was, the idea wasn't to give you some abridged book of Jewish law. The idea was to give you a comprehensive book of Jewish law. Clear. Clarity is the Ramam's number one goal. Not just clarity, but authority. And authority with integrity, which are things that don't always come. Normally things that are clear are not so authoritative. Normally things that are authoritative are not so full of integrity. But here, the Ramam tried to get all three. Yutzele Or Pam Rishonah, it came, it's being published for the first time in history. From the manuscripts, the handwritten manuscripts of Yemen, in Pirush Makif, with a, a complete running commentary. So it's the first time it's being printed from Yemenite manuscripts with a running commentary on the Rambam. Higia, 
ליקט ופירש יוסף בן כבוד הרב דוד קפה. Yes. This is Yosef, the son of Rabbi David, of the Kapar family. And again, that's the logo at the bottom of Mechon Mishnah Tarambo. This is the grandson of Rav Yichin Kapach, but for our intensive purposes, this is the Rav Kapach, because he's the one whose Torah we're going to be dealing with. If you open up one more page, this book was printed 846 years after the Rambam was born. So it took 846 years from when the Rambam was born, for an authoritative manuscript of the Rambam's Mishneh Torah to be printed. Let us sink in. It's 846 years of a gap. A gap in which we're going to read in the introduction very soon that so many of the questions people had in the Rambam were very easily answered if you just had a correct text of the Rambam. There's so many problems people had with the Rambam, but they didn't even have the correct Rambam in front of them. And perhaps this brings us to the introduction of Rabbi Yosef Kapach. Last night I heard a speech of Rabbi Yosef Kapach, which said, you know, the problem with the Rambam is that the Rambam is like a mirror. Everybody who studied the Rambam thought that the Rambam was him. Everybody sees themselves in the Rambam. If you talk to the rationalist, the Rambam is theirs. You talk to the Kabbalist, the Rambam is the greatest Kabbalist of all history. You talk to this one, if you talk to an Ashkenazi rabbi, the Rambam was really Ashkenazi living in Spain. If you talk to a Sephardic rabbi, the Rambam, if you talk to everybody has their own Rambam. It's very hard when you study Rambam to try to figure out who is the Rambam without you projecting yourself on him. Not to study the Rambam as a mirror, but to allow yourself to be the mirror is a whole different art. And that's the goal of Rabbi Yosef in this book. So, what we're going to be studying from this book, the table of contents, it says Betochen. Turn one more page, it has big words on top, Betochen. Bashar. So there's the, the introduction. The introduction, this is written by Yosef Kapach. And that's where we're going to be spending our time in the next few weeks. You then have a list of the commentaries that Rav Kapach uses in his commentary on the Rambam. So, essentially a bibliography. All the rabbis that he quoted from. <coughs> Yesterday I was reading a piece here. There's one book, and I'm looking. I know this book. Where do I know this book from? What book? And then I looked in his list of rabbis. And it said here, Rav Chaim Kanievsky. I said, that's unbelievable. I never in my life thought I would come across a page like that where... It's interesting. When you're a big person, you can quote from everywhere without getting stuck on anything. When you're a small person, you're small-minded. And that's what holds people back. Hagdamat Rambam, the next introduction of the Rambam himself to the Mishnah Torah, which is a beautiful work in and of itself. And we have studied that work before a few times. Uh, very quickly. So we've studied it in our foundations class twice already. <coughs> we've studied it in our LA, Bet Midrash once already. Uh, we studied it in the Kolel, in the second or third or fourth class we had of Kolel years ago, but also very quickly. This is not going to take us a day to finish. This is the Rambam's introduction with an Al-Kapach's commentary on it. 
Minyan HaMitzvot, you have then the Rambam's counting of the Mitzvot. If you know that the, in the medieval times, the Jews were obsessed with counting Mitzvot. I mean, there's a Gemara that says that there are Tariag Mitzvot, there are 613 Mitzvot. I'm not even sure if it's a Gemara. And somehow, that became a craze. Who can count the Mitzvot? And many people set out to count the Mitzvot, and everybody counted them differently. Not all of the books have the same 630 Mitzvot. And so, yes, there may be 630 Mitzvot, what are the 630 mitzvot? Oh, Tough. You have to figure it out. For example, uh, the Rambam famously doesn't consider living in the land of Israel as one of the 613 commandments. That's the proof that many people try to bring for themselves as to why they don't have to live in Israel. Because it's not a mitzvah. It's not always accurate. No, Shulchan Aruch doesn't have a mitzvah in the Shulchan Aruch to believe in Hashem. Because the assumption is if you're learning Shulchan Aruch, you believe in Hashem. All of the mitzvot that the Ramam gives you that you have to do in the land of Israel, the assumption is you live in the land of Israel. And therefore, it doesn't have to be a separate mitzvah necessarily to live in the land of Israel. Ramban, for example, in his book of mitzvot, considers the mitzvah of living in Eretz Israel. Ramban, that's Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman. He writes, it's not just living in Eretz Israel, that every Jewish person in every time, in every generation, in every place, has a mitzvah to redeem the land of Israel from the hands of the non-Jews who occupy it. That's a biblical commandment. So, for those who wish to have a problem with living in Israel, they're going to be stuck with the Ramban, who requires Jews not just to live, but to own and to dominate Israel and return it to Jewish hands. So, the counting of the mitzvot. And then you have the table of contents of all the halachot that are in the Mishneh Torah. And last but not least, you have Sefer Hamada, the first volume of the Rambam's Mishneh Torah called the Book of Mada. And that's going to include inside of it the laws of Yisodeh Torah, the foundations of belief in the Torah. It's going to include the laws of Deos, all kinds of proper uh, character traits and proper ways to think about the world, the laws of the study of Torah, uh, the laws of Avodah Zarah, the laws of Tshuva, a lot of the mitzvot that have to do with us. Meaning, things that we can learn from. Let's start, just because I don't want to stop. Yes, we're going to start, but we're going to stop in the middle. And then we're going to continue on Monday. So let's take it from the top. We're on the next page. It says Bashar. Now, if you are going to have a hard time with the Hebrew numbers, this is officially page 9. And you could just start counting numbers from there on out. So this is 9, the next one is 10, the next one is 11. And when I announce the Hebrew numbers, I'll tell you the English one, but there are no English numbers written in the book. Rav begins by quoting a few psukim from the book of Tilim. This is from chapter Kuf Yud Tet, 119. If you know this chapter of Tilim, is very long, very long. And it goes uh, based according to the alphabet. So, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, yeah. Can I get a Tanakh, please? I will tell you where it is, but we just changed the libraries. I don't know where it is. I'm going to art scroll this a little bit, okay? Tov asitaim avdecha, Adonai kidvarecha. You have done good to your servant Hashem, according to your word. Tuv tam vadat la medeni ki bimitzvotecha he manti. 
Teach me good reasoning and knowledge, for I have been faithful to your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I erred, but now I keep your word. You are good and beneficent, meaning you do good. Teach me your chukim, your mitzvot. Then it continues. Willful sinners have piled false accusations upon me, but I guard your mitzvot with all my heart. This is straight out of David HaMelech. Rav Kapach is resonating so much with these words that he writes them here for himself. Tafash kachelev libam, ani toratacha shiashati. Their heart grew thick as fat, but for me your Torah is my preoccupation. Tovli kiuneti leman elman chukecha. It is good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your mitzvot. Tovli Torah picha zahav And why is it all worth it? Because the Torah of your mouth, Hashem, is better for me than thousands of gold and silver. It says Al Kapach. It doesn't make a difference what people say. I used to be one way. I met your Torah. Your Torah has changed my life. And the reason I do what I do is because the Torah of your mouth is more precious to me than all the silver and gold in the whole. I think that when you begin studying a work of a Tamikhacham, you ask yourself, how much did this person love Torah? Because if they didn't love it, they can't teach it. If someone doesn't love something, there are many teachers in the world. They're not teachers because they love what they're teaching. They're not teachers because they love dealing with students. They're teachers because they couldn't get another job. That's why they're teachers. And because of that, they make the worst teachers in the whole world. Students hate them. Sometimes it's not that your student doesn't like school. It's your student doesn't like the teacher at school. It's not always a problem with the subject matter at hand. Sometimes the person teaching the subject. I once worked somewhere. When they would hire staff to teach Torah, you're in a yeshiva, right? So you want to hire a rabbi to teach. So what's the most prestigious thing to teach in a yeshiva? Gemara. Everyone wants to study Gemara. Why? I don't know. So everybody wants to study Gemara. <coughs> So they're looking for a rabbi to teach Chumash. Who wants to teach Chumash? Well, it's for little children. But one was written by God. The other one was written by rabbis many, many thousands of years later. But, you know, it's like I told you yesterday. Things that are sparkly and shiny, people care about them more than the things that actually are important. And if, Well, you know, of course I'll teach Chumash if I have to, but I'd much rather do. Every time the one who was hiring would hear this answer, he would say, sorry, go find an interview somewhere else. If you don't love teaching Chumash, you can't teach Chumash. If you don't love teaching Halakha, don't teach Halakha. Don't do it. If you don't love what you do, don't do it. When you learn Torah, you must learn Torah from somebody who says, If I chose to be a millionaire somewhere else, would I sit in the bed of Midrash and learn Torah? Or would I go be a millionaire? If the person says, I don't need the money. I'm in the bed of Midrash. What does the Bina Midrash say? Let me sit in the house of Hashem my whole life. That's all I want. I will sit in the house of Hashem my whole life. That's what he wants. Because of that, David HaMelech was David HaMelech. But if somebody else didn't feel that way, they should get out of the Bermidash. Make room for those people who want to be there. Al Kapach is telling you it doesn't make a difference. When you study Torah, you should know a few things will happen. The first is you'll realize your life changes. 
The second, you didn't realize that because your life changes, the people around you who didn't change because they weren't influenced by Torah will heap many accusations against you. It's part of studying Torah. Get used to it. They say only a dead fish swims with a stream. There are many people, oh, why can't you just be mainstream? What is mainstream? You want to be dead? You want to be like all the other sheep in the world? That's who you want to be? If you want to be a sheep, so go live on a farm. You want to be a human being, you have to stand up. You want to be an Ivri? What is an Ivri? Ivri is a contrarian. Someone who is contrary to everything else that makes people comfortable. That's your job. And if that's your job and you embrace it, you realize, I'll take this over anything else, any day. And we're sitting here with a group of people who are coming to learn Rambam in a time of night where people don't even leave their house. And you're here to learn Torah. So you belong more than anybody else inside of a camp of people who are learning together with Rav Kapach, who is not afraid. Just like the Rambam, who is not afraid. What does the Rambam write at the beginning of his Mishnah Torah? The first words of the Rambam in Mishnah Torah, look on page... Well, it doesn't actually have a page number. It's Lamed Hay, so it's the one before Lamed Vav. You want to pass all the lists that you have here of the... It looks like this. So go one page before that. <coughs> the Ramam writes, "B'shem Adonai El Olam," in the name of Adonai, who is the God of the whole world. As lo evosh, behabiti el kol mitzvotecha. I will not be embarrassed when I look at all of your mitzvot. Fearless. Doesn't make a difference what somebody likes or doesn't like. Does it make a difference what somebody says or doesn't say? I'm learning Torah. For me, this is the only thing that matters. And therefore, whatever truth the Torah will lead me to is where I need to go. So to be an Ivri who learned from the Rambam and to read through the writings of Kapach, who also <coughs> was the same Ivri, and therefore to be part of a group of people who don't mind, perhaps more than don't mind, don't mind sitting and learning together with other Ivri, with other contrarians, those who wish to study Torah for themselves, to be able to learn Torah for themselves. The whole purpose of the Rambam is to free a person from the shackles of other people. If you listen to what I just said, you'll realize now why the Rambam's books get burned everywhere in the world. It's not because the Rambam said things people didn't like. Many people said things that other people didn't like. The Rambam gave people an opportunity to learn for themselves, to educate themselves, and next time Rabbi so-and-so tells you, hey, you can't do that, or hey, you have to do that, you can say, excuse me, dear Rabbi, but that's not what it says in the halakha. Don't you know halakha? Oh, we don't follow halakha. That's normally what, we don't rule like the Shukhan We don't follow the Rambam. When someone says that statement, they say, we don't follow halakha, so who do we follow? I don't have to explain myself to you. Exactly. The Rambam freed me from the shackles of subservience to people like you. That's precisely who the Rambam is. And this truth that the Rambam gives is what set people free over and over and over again. And it's for that reason that people really didn't love the Rambam. Because the Rambam wrote a book. So, you know, Talmud is too hard for everyone to know. I'm going to write a book saying, I'm feeding you the Talmud on a silver spoon. Why? So you can serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu instead of serving anybody else. 
and freedom. Knowledge is power. Knowledge really is power. What does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Let my people go. We always say, let my people go. To go where? To go out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to serve our God. We're sick and tired of serving you. We're not interested in serving Paro anymore. In the Jewish community, we serve a lot of Paros. And it's our job to say, no more Paro, we're free. Hashem led us out of Egypt a long time ago. <coughs> Those people who wish to oppress us. Today, I got a question. A lady called me to ask me a halakhic question. Something important. Almost on the border of life threatening. Almost. Not exactly, but almost. And I answered her, of course it's mutar. Yeah, but six weeks ago, I called the Rav and he told me. I said, the Rav explained to you anything? The Rav told you no. Did he ask, he told you why not? Oh, he has a minhag. I know he has a minhag. Everybody has a minhag. A minhag is not important when it comes to saving somebody's life. But this rabbi didn't even bother to explain. He didn't even care enough to share. Because why should we empower people to be free from us? I think there's a comic I once shared in the Shiviti group and it said, most people won't share with you the things you need to know to free yourself from them. It's a rule in life. Educators are not really educators. They're there to tell you as much as you need to know so you keep coming back to them. Dependency. To create a lot of dependency. And this Torah is the kind of Torah that doesn't allow for dependency. You have a job. You stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch I was once in a Bet Knesset in the old city. I can't tell you who's and I can't tell you whose name. And there was a rabbi giving the Rasham. So, well, you know, but Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, I'm only quoting that's the story. That's who's in the story. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein said that it's allowed. Let me tell you something, my friend. After 120 years, when you stand in front of the Bedin Shalmana, and you're standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch and he asks you, why did he do that? You know, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein is a reigning God Eden. He's not going to be standing there next to you to help you out. If you don't have an answer for yourself, it doesn't help who said something. If you can't explain your actions to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so don't bother throwing somebody else's name out. It's a big responsibility. It's not just freedom. But that freedom, that responsibility, that freedom to have your own responsibility is something that those who've tasted that freedom will never give up. That's what we're here to do.